Bienvenidos, amigos, and welcome to a very special episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Hunter Cates. And I'm Chris Gallagher. On today's show, we face our cinema shame head-on with the introduction of war crimes. Everyone has skeletons in their cult closet. We're just man enough to admit it. So today we're reviewing a film we have somehow avoided our entire time on this earthly plane. The Goonies. Yes, The Goonies. And then in special features, we get down to brass tacks and pummel each other with insults as we discuss our most egregious cinematic oversights. And finally, we will wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first, pull out the blindfolds and line up the firing squad as we confess our most dishonorable deeds as motion picture patriots. Okay, Hunter. So... Uh, this is a very special episode of Quite Warsons right, of yes. Night. We're ditching our entire format and focusing squarely on this new uh, segment that we'll be doing periodically called War Crimes. I don't know about you, but War Crimes is actually when we first started discussing doing a podcast. This is probably the thing that I was most excited about exploring. Uh, and I, w- I would agree with that as segment wise. I was just most excited about having people listen to my opinions on myriad topics. Okay. But as far okay. as, yes, the way we so, the vehicle, so, we do that and compounding that here, yes. this should make you really excited. Basically, what war crimes is we've uh, we haven't really fleshed out an exact science of of what it is. We, we kind of made categories. It's of, more art than science at this uh, point. Yeah. And and so basically, overall, it is uh, us exploring a movie that at least one of us, if not both of us, has somehow not seen that we, you know, either I I guess kind of feel shame for. But, you know, it could come from a few different camps. It could come from the uh, camp of, you know, like cult film or maybe it's, uh, you know, just overall uh, cinema snob. Um, or film school 101 films that somehow we missed. Your independent and uh, your independent and uh, foreign films would fall into this category. Well, I, I would say those fall into the next category of the the real. So we we've got like the the film school 101, which is like you know if I think we've all seen you know Birth of a Nation or uh, something like. Well, you haven't seen Im. I think was maybe an example of yeah of spoiler that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, spoilers for, for later, but, um, you know, these films that generally, you know, your Battleship Potemkin or your, uh, couple of Hitchcock movies that, you know, I think you could Mm -hmm. just pick a few, any out of the hat, you know, be it rear window, North by Northwest, whatever. Um, the things that whenever you're first getting into, uh, film or first like learning about film, these are the, the ones that people typically point you to. And then beyond that, we have sort of, I think maybe I called it like cinephile 201. It's, it's the stuff a little beyond that where you start to get into the maybe influential independent films or foreign films or that sort of thing where, uh, it, it's a little more off the beaten path, but still like when you have that discussion about, uh, you know, being a, a cinephile, which I, I think we, we were talking a little bit off mic earlier about this. I feel like when you finally become, you know, you go beyond just being an active film viewer into being a cinephile, it's almost like a disease that you have. You are never going to see every film you want to see to broaden your horizons as far as you want to be it, you know, following the rabbit holes of influences of your favorite directors or, uh, you know, broadening your horizon on, uh, you know, foreign films and, and influential things that um, are sort of di- more discoveries, uh, but you try your best. And so that's what we're doing here is trying to uh, trying to dip a toe in, in that, you know, sort of uh, eat your proverbial vegetables, if you will. Yeah. And, and that's a good way to describe this. We're still we're still figuring out the mechanics. War crimes. There's there's a, egregious war war crimes in which we should probably be shot by a firing squad, and then others where we would just be whipped ten times for not seeing something. And and some where it's you know as much personal shame as as anything else. Like not necessarily that the whole world is going to be upset that we haven't seen a certain Andre Tarkovsky film, but still you know we we feel bad for. Uh, having that hole in our cinematic landscape. And then I, I, the final category, I guess, would be just your proverbial classic Hollywood pictures, your AFI 100 list yes. entries. It's a little bit classic. It's also a little bit cult films. And I think that's maybe the perfect segue to get into our very first war crimes review. So get on your booty as we discuss the pirate-themed classic from 1985, The Goonies. <laughs> Steven Spielberg presents The Goonies, 
a Richard Donner film. You guys realize what we could do? Well, I don't want to go on any more of your crazy goonie adventures. Between the two of us, we've seen a lot of movies. But there's not necessarily a whole lot of overlap. Our cinematic Venn diagram, if you will, has a lot more on the outside than the inside. Yet, our childhoods were both packed with Steven Spielberg. Not only as a director of films like Indiana Jones, E.T., and Jurassic Park but also as a producer of stuff like Back to the Future, Men in Black, and all those after-school Warner Brothers cartoons. Tiny Toons Adventures, anyone? Uh, the Animaniacs. Pinky and the Brain, just to name a few. In so many ways, the work of Steven Spielberg defined my childhood, and I would assume yours as well. But somehow, we have literally spent our entire lives with little more than a pop-cultural understanding of the 1980s Spielberg-produced swashbuckling children's adventure movie, The Goonies. This movie has everything I loved as a child. Pirates, booby traps, Rube Goldberg machines, children spewing mild profanity. Come on, Chris, you still like all of those things. This is true. But that said, we are no longer kids. We are a couple of gainfully employed grown-ass men. Albeit from a generation of adult children. That is also true. So, I'm curious. As a grown-ass man, viewing the Goonies for the very first time, were you swept into a world you had long since forgotten? A world filled with childlike whimsy and nostalgia? Or has your heart hardened over with cynicism? I think we all know the answer to that, Chris. And beyond that, Hunter, did this experience of viewing a beloved children's film for the first time make you reassess your stance on those movies you love from your own childhood? This is a very unique viewing experience, and perhaps it was tempered somewhat by me watching it late at night. Uh, I did not really care for The Goonies. It didn't do a whole lot for me. And I think having not watched it through the beautiful golden hue of lens of childhood that I, it was inevitable that I just wouldn't enjoy it. I think had I seen it as a kid, I might have felt differently about it. But as such, I, I felt kind of bored about it. And, and as you said, not only did it have all the things that we loved as kids regarding pirate stuff, but it was also very much in the Spielbergian suburbia that I like to this day. I'm interested to see where this conversation goes, because I have a feeling you're a little more pessimistic on this movie than I am. But I was... I don't know if disappointed is the right the right word, but it wasn't uh, what I had built up in my mind over all these years. You well, know, there's and that's the there, thing. I don't think it could be. Well, I don't know, because uh, as of late, I think there's actually a trend for people to hate on the Goonies. Uh, I know a lot of people who um, think that it is overrated. And actually, immediately after seeing it, uh, I told a few groups of friends that, that I had just watched it. And every single one replied, well, how will let how let down were you? Essentially, like how bad was it seeing it as an adult, not not having the nostalgia of, of a child? And now, well, then from their perspective, are they saying that they only like it for that reason that they saw it as kids? I, I don't know. I didn't like I didn't want to have the discussion with them because I didn't want to uh, deplete myself of anything to talk about. All here. right. Fantastic. Uh, because I don't think this is going to be like our typical film review. You know, we're mm. not going to get really into a whole lot of criticism, I think more an analysis of uh I don't know. The, th the thing that I'm more interested in exploring is that weird haze of nostalgia. Like, how does it uh, how does it work? Also, um, I, I think there is something to talk about with uh, Spielberg being uh, involved with this. You, you know, you mentioned it has, you know, that suburban feel. It has that that sort of and, you know, right off the bat, I thought I was going to love this movie. I mean, it opens with that great car chase that kind of ties everything together. You get the introduction of each of the main characters along with uh, the introduction of the villains, the bad guys, or or one sect of the bad guys, because you've got the Fratellis, which is this uh, kind of how would you describe them? Uh, you know, your your cliche, almost straight from the 1940s uh, villains that you would actually see in an R game picture slash Little Rascals, which I think is what this was trying to be. And, and in many ways probably succeeded. I just, you know, like you said, my heart yeah, is hardened by cynicism. <laughs> and and there is, yeah, I, I think there is, there is that throwback there. There is also something that, like, I kind of recognize as a trope from uh, from my childhood, the... Uh, the mother, the sort of demonstrative mother uh, who is sort of the criminal mastermind with her sons, something like the Beagle Boys from DuckTales or um, there was a very similar 
uh, mom child dynamic in uh, Cowboy Bebop. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I digress. Um, I will before I will point out though that you just compared Ducktales to Cowboy Bebop. I'm not saying that that's that's wrong or that's because <laughs> I I just I don't think that's ever been done in the history of the internet. That, that's so very, congratulations well, maybe, to you. Other than maybe in this sense, this is this is where their Venn diagram is the demonstrative into mother that point, criminal. Into that point, I think Chris and I should both point out that we are neither intoxicated or stoned. <laughs> Okay, moving on. So uh, you also have these things like, uh, you know, children riding bikes through through the streets of, of you know, kind of suburban neighborhoods, which is a very Steven it's, Spielberg it's, Yeah, thing. It's, it's Steven Spielberg's USA. And when, like I said, I, I love that. That mm. even though I didn't really care for the movie in Super 8, the, the way they the skill in which they recreated the Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. suburban America, I appreciated and, that. You know, I think that's the problem with something like Super 8, though, is Super 8 felt like that's all it was doing was tipping its hat at all of these Spielberg. Well, tropes. and then it became a modern movie, whereas the Goonies, it's it was the 1980s that's knee deep in Mm -hmm. spielberg county usa exactly and so um i think maybe the most interesting thing that we can discuss here is uh how does this like in your mind being able to not see it through the lens the rose-colored glasses of nostalgia um but also like having the deep experience that you have had throughout your lifetime with Steven Spielberg films did I, I felt like I saw his fingerprints all over this what what did you absolutely and this movie was directed by Richard Donner and what's interesting about that is Richard Donner was a contemporary of Spielberg's he had done the omen in the early 70s actually before Jaws came out and then had done Superman which he, which was a huge hit so Richard Donner was no slouch yeah the other two directors who you mentioned their pictures earlier who were doing Spielberg County USA movies in the 80s were Joe Dante with Gremlins and then Robert Zemeckis with Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, I felt that those were better. I enjoyed those movies better and they felt they felt more natural because almost those directors came under Steven Spielberg, whereas Richard Donner was his contemporary. And so maybe in that regard, it felt like a, a guy trying to make a Steven Spielberg movie, but he had his own style of doing things. Does that make sense? It, it the, does. This- I, I think it's interesting, though, because I would. So are you saying that because he's his contemporary, he maybe had a little more clout than guys like Joe Dante? And Not so much clout as and- it was. He knew what he was hired to make a Steven Spielberg movie. And that and that's why he was there. But at the same time, he was well established. He was, He's a journeyman director in mm-hmm. many ways. And so he would he was almost hired hey go make a steven spielberg movie and in that regard there's a little bit of a distance it feels like someone making a steven spielberg movie as opposed to a person who just knows that world and grew up in that universe and was trained in that universe like a robert zemeckis you know i i think for me the thing that's really missing from this movie and there's a lot of you know the laundry list of things that i described i could have described several more things in this film that like i really enjoyed and identify with from you know kind of staples of my childhood um but i i found the thing that's really missing from this movie is it doesn't feel like there was anything transcendent about it. Um, and, and by that, I mean, it feels like a kid's movie and it feels like all it is, is a kid's movie. Whereas with something like back to the future or like Pixar films, for the most part, I think, you know, there are, there are certainly some that maybe don't have that dynamic depth to them, but there are things there that particularly with something like back to the future, which I saw as a very young child. Uh, one of the first times I ever remember being put in timeout was repeating the, you know, mild profanity of back to the future, uh, as a child, uh, as, as I grew up, you know, kind of realizing that there were things that I wasn't catching on to as a child, uh, that were deeper, you know, like the whole Oedipal thing, Mm-hmm. Um, and no real understanding or sense of what was really going on and how messed up that was as a kid. Um, and so as I got older, there were new things for me to grasp onto this. I don't really think I would have had that even, you know, going back. And if I did see it as a child and went back and saw it now, I don't think I would have had that experience. It and, just feels like a kid's movie. And actually, speaking of Steven Spielberg related Pirates movies, I had a similar experience whenever I rewatched Hook is even though I absolutely adored Hook's score by John Williams, who, you know, who's Spielberg's frequent collaborator, mm-hmm. um, the, the picture itself hasn't aged well. And I really, really enjoyed it as a kiddo. 
Um, and whereas the Goonies, I don't. Hey, the, hey, Hunter. Yes. I challenge you to a duel right now. Okay, uh, you're still a, a big hook buff. I, not to, I not love, to go on that. I love hook, and and it might very well be that it's that nostalgia that. Uh, you know, I, I keep mentioning the I cannot separate that movie from my childhood. And so uh, I, I think nostalgia is a very strong weapon in a lot of ways for, you know, we've talked a lot recently about all these reboots and all these things, you know, coming coming back up. I think part of that might be nostalgia might be, you know, people, the the comfort, the familiarity, um, you know, they're willing to bypass things that are maybe a little crappier because you get the warm fuzzies. And I so w- I don't, I don't know if I can honestly defend hook. I it's been a, at least a couple of years since I've seen it. And I remember the last time I saw it, I had read Ebert's review, which was just like, he hated the movie. Right. And um, I mean, I think it's like, under 30% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. It's like, it's really well. Rotten. And I had read that and I was like, what's wrong with you people? And then yeah. we saw, it, I was like, eh. yeah. Um, but I, I still adore hook and I, I don't know if I could defend it from a cinematic, uh, level, but, uh, you know, it gives me the warm fuzzies. Well, and not to get away further away from Goonies, but you said something very interesting. You said, I think a part of them re going back to these old properties and rebooting them as nostalgia. I don't think it's a part of it. I would say it's 75 to 80 five percent of it is well, it, we as is we as film goers when you really think about it I, our pop culture hasn't changed that much since the early 90s mm-hmm. compare it to compare the 80s to the 60s the 60s of the 40s and on and on drastic changes but compare mm-hmm. 1990 to 2015 it hasn't changed i think we are just for whatever reason and this this is a huge conversation that we're not going to have but for whatever reason we are just very comfortable uh, rehashing the things that we experienced growing up. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think that is another thing, you know, mentioning in the introduction are sort of millennial glaze of these adult children. Um, I, I feel like with the Goonies land squarely in the middle of that as, as far as uh, a movie that a lot of our peers saw as children and have those fond uh, memories of. And so, uh, when I think it was your idea to review this, um, when when you said that, I thought that was the most interesting piece of like, we're even if it's not a great movie, like there's going to be something to talk about in in what what is this nostalgia? What is what is the thing that? And from our vantage point, like, I mean, what did you what did you know going into the Goonies? Is this a movie that you had I knew seen it, clips I, of? Is it something? I knew that, it was. Uh, I, I think I heard that Sean Austin, Sean Astin, excuse mm-hmm. me, was in it. Um, but I had forgotten that. And then Josh what's, Brolin. Yes, exactly. Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know short round was in it. And so that was really exciting. <laughs> short round slash data. And that that's intriguing to me that you have an entire generation of kids, our contem- not kids, but our contemporaries uh-huh. who know who knew that short round was in something else. And they didn't tell us. Yeah, that, <laughs> they didn't tell true. us or conversely, they knew short round is data. Yeah. And, and and that could be because I think uh And that that, that Doom, to me is mind blowing is uh-huh. that Short Round was in something else and people may know of him as something else. But what about uh what about Corey Feldman? I don't think I knew he was in this. I think Sean Astin I knew was the only Sean, I knew Corey Feldman was okay. in it. See, I, I don't know I only knew as of recently that Josh Brolin was in it. Mm-hmm. Um I mean as like the past few years. So I thought, you know, honestly, I thought I'd seen a lot of this movie going into it. I realized I had seen next to nothing. Well, did you at least know it was about pirates and I, all that I knew jazz? I knew a little bit about the pirate stuff. I knew, you know, I knew, hey, you guys, and the Truffle Shuffle, and a couple of, you know, I, I knew who Sloth was. I knew he wore a Superman shirt, which I didn't realize, like, the connection to Richard Donner um, until right. um, seeing his name in the credits and... Um, like I knew, I didn't even know, like I knew Spielberg was attached, but that was about it. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know Richard Donner directed. I didn't know Chris Columbus had ridden it, who, you know, had just ridden. That's Gremlins. interesting. Cause I didn't even pay attention to that part. Oh, so Chris really? Col- like, okay. That, so this I, was, yeah. An all-star cast of Spielberg and, uh, I, buddies. Yeah. I think that was my very first note was Chris Columbus. Like, I mean, my closer connection, like I don't. I don't generally lump him in with the gremlins, but is probably where you should put him in this conversation. You know, I think more of Home Alone and the first couple Harry Potter movies, Mm -hmm. which is sort of drifting off into like, I love the Home Alone movies. Um, The first couple Harry Potter movies are children's movies. So it's 
it is whatever like let, let's not get into that discussion. you're probably we're, yeah we're probably gonna get a lot of hate emails from that so we better hurry up and i legitimately have no idea how i avoided this movie my did you, well life. did you avoid it just miss it for whatever reason i mean I, I don't i didn't i didn't actively avoid it but i didn't like it there was never the real opportunity you know i never there was never a uh, sleepover or that sort of thing. Where, well, because it thing. seems it's, like that sort of movie. It's a sleepover movie, or your parents uh, saw it, or you would be taken to it at the theater if you mm-hmm. were old enough. And neither one of us were. Well, old we enough. weren't even alive when this you, movie. No, came exactly. Out. So not. Yeah, exactly. We quite. We were not old enough at all. Yeah. Or it's you know rented at Blockbuster and just you know for whatever reason that didn't happen with any of us. But anyway, to go back to the movie itself, you mentioned Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. I th- I guess a lot of people having seen this prior to his arrival as a Oscar nominated actor said, "Oh, hey, it's the kid from The Goonies." How did it feel for you going back and looking at this guy who's so associated with being tough in all of his <laughs> modern flicks playing uh, a kid? It, it felt like he felt very much like he fit into the Spielberg casting sort of, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he had, uh, you know, you, you talked some uh, or quite a bit in our last review of, of Gone Girl about sort of casting types. And I think Spielberg does that a lot of times, like and also had particularly with his uh, late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s films had a good knack for child actors. I do think it's child- funny that we're saying Spielberg again, even though this is a Richard Donner. Film. And, and I want to get to that in just a second. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think Spielberg has a I'm just going to place it on him because he's producer. And I think he probably had a lot. His fingers really on right. a lot of this, um, you know, casting child actors. Uh, he and Brolin fits into that very naturally. I I feel um, he's a little brooding. He's a little like I think you know he's definitely grown a bit. Um, I imagine at that time, do you think he was just looked at as James Brolin's son? Well, I'd rather be looked at as James Brolin's son than Barbara Streisand's future son-in-law. Oh, okay, um, but you know, I I will to the credit of you know, let's say the casting director or Spielberg or Donner or whoever. Like these kids are good. That's mm-hmm. that's the one thing that I can definitely say is these kids are great. And and to get kids to feel this natural and energetic and, and all of that is no small feat. So well, from that perspective, I think it does work. Well, and having never directed a, a you know, a bunch of children, what Steven Spielberg understood is how to just the, the what you need to do is almost create like a playground atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And if you see interviews with Richard Donner, he's very childlike. Um so both Steven Spielberg and Richard Donner succeeded in directing kids because they were in many ways big kids themselves. OK, so let's get into this discussion about uh, who's you know, the we're, director we're yeah. placing a lot on Spielberg. I admitted to you earlier, I think this is the first Richard Donner film I've seen sat down and watched from start to finish. You know, I've seen parts of Superman, although now I'm questioning that even mm-hmm. after seeing Goonies and realizing that, like, I thought I had seen a lot more than I had. The original Superman is one of those movies that you can think you've seen, even if you mm-hmm. haven't. Well, and then, and then Superman two, like that's the one with Lex Luthor, right? Or Gene Hackman is Lex well, Luthor? Lex, no, he's, he's, in, he, he's in both, but okay. the main bad guys are. Yeah. Anyway, okay, see, I, I know I <laughs> yeah, clearly anyway. know nothing. Lethal weapon is one that I know I've seen on like, uh, I don't know, like back when ABC would do like the Saturday night movie, Sunday night movie, something like that, you know, the real tourniqueted, uh, edited cut down version. I know I've seen some of that, but I really know nothing of Richard Donner's films. I will be our resident Richard Donner expert. Yes, I'm going to have to, this I'm going to have to default to you, but here's my question. Uh, I just recently listened to an episode of the optical podcast. Have you ever listened to this? I have not. Show? Okay. It's, uh, they focus on, um, old school visual effects from, you know, like the late seventies, early eighties on up through, like they're going, going to get up through the decades, but, um, they were talking about poltergeist and they mentioned that even though who was it? Toby Hooper. Yeah. Who directed Chainsaw it, Massacre. Yeah. yeah. Directed it really in, in the article that they were sourcing from, uh, it, it really heavily implies that Steven Spielberg directed that film even as producers. So I felt like I could feel that. In this, maybe it was partially just because I had just heard that now I'm watching the Goonies. But did you feel like, does Richard Donner even have a style? Yeah, once again, yeah, Richard Donner is very much a journeyman director who I like him personally and I like his work. Um, but this felt like, once again, you hired a journeyman director to do a Steven Spielberg movie. And in that regard, he was competent. But if you truly want to get that Spielbergian magic that just wells wells up your heart and puts a tear to your eye then you need him or you need 
at the very least John Williams providing your score and this film had neither and so as a result it 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 didn't have that that wellspring of emotion that you trip, typically mm-hmm. associate with Steven Spielberg in that era. Okay. But but I would but I will say this is this isn't a poltergeist situation mm-hmm. where I think Steven Spielberg directed and I'm sure Richard Donner was deferential uh, to Steven Spielberg being like, hey, you know, what do you think of this kid? Oh, I like this kid. I don't yeah. like that kid. Well, and, and I think you can, regardless of whatever argu- argument you want to make, that you can see Spielberg's fingerprints in just the DNA of the story and and those sorts of things. You know, it's uh, right in line with his loving of, you know, this, the pirate adventure sort of thing, you know, uh, his love for old throwback, be it... Um, swashbuckling in this case, or, you know, in the case of Indiana Jones, the old serial adventures. Um, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of that that is his. Yeah. Swashbuckling is a good, a good word for it. And, well, and you get, you know, you get sloth watching the pirate movies in when, when he's first introduced, um, you get, you, you actually get a couple things like that. You get in the very opening when, uh, there's that car chase and the Fratellis are driving around. Mm-hmm. And I think it's when Corey Feldman's character is introduced. He's watching some old gangster movie on the TV. Well, and, and what's funny about that is watching movies that watching old movies in an, in a, at that point, new movie, for mm-hmm. instance, like you said, sloth, sloth watching the uh, pirate picture that, that reminds me of an ET whenever ET is watching the quiet man. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I finally saw the quiet man at, you know, 20 mm-hmm. something years old, it was just, it, it was it was a very different experience having only associated it right, with right. ET. But as you said, that's a very Spielbergian thing to do. Yeah. Um, why, if you're Steven Spielberg, why would you not do? Why would you have someone else direct Back to the Future or The Goonies or Gremlins or whatever? I I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, was he? Well, in nineteen what was he working on at the time? Yeah, in yeah. nineteen eighty five, he was directing The Color Purple, which is one of those forgotten gems. I don't think it, it's. I think you know it's rep reputation is more b plus but i thought it was fantastic and i would certainly recommend it um but he was he directed color purple and then i think he was getting ready to start on empire of the sun okay in 1987 when that came out and that was that's an epic picture Mm -hmm. and has a young christian bale um so maybe he just wanted to pat those are two you know very capital d dramas Mm -hmm. which well he maybe he needed to direct before he did schindler's list and so i think maybe that's where he was is he didn't want to do spielbergian movies per se he wanted to pass them on to others well you know it's funny that you say that in my original when i was kind of writing up the intro to this review one of the things that i ended up cutting out but it was very true is like as a kid i sort of because spielberg really kind of built up my world of of movies in a lot of ways like just was involved in so much that i was uh consuming like i kind of thought of him as like the mayor of film town or something like like the guy who almost you know in my mind hollywood was pretty small and steven spielberg was like if not the man one of the men that and not to be sexist but you know Hollywood he was the guy. The yeah, he was yeah, the guy. He was, he was the guy that was controlling the content. And, um, you know, maybe maybe there's actually more to that, you know, talking about him getting his feelers out in producing a lot. Uh, maybe that that is a thing that was actually happening. Um, even, you know, my my child mind was perceptive of it on a, you know, much lower level than what was actually happening. Well, I think it's just as simple as he, and I'm sure the same for you is he was just my first awareness of someone making something as opposed to a movie just existing. Someone uh had to make it. Yeah. And and I think part of that also comes from, you know, the movies he was making at our, uh, at our real formidable age, you know, like Jurassic Park came out when I think I was in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And so like people talking about Steven Spielberg and, and, you know, he was just, he was a name. He was a, well, and it's stuff that we would eat up. I mean, Indiana Mm -hmm. Jones, what kid doesn't like that Jurassic park? What kid doesn't love that? Yeah. Yeah. And ET was probably my favorite film of all time as a child. So, uh, so in many ways you could say that he's like a third parent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very (laughs) much. He, well, he's, he's the third parent for the non absent father that I didn't have from a Steven Spielberg film. Though the irony of course, is that, uh, the father's, 
for the most part, were all present in this movie, except for the bad guys. There right. was a there was oh, of a father who wasn't present, and that's why they became bad guys. All right. So anyway, we've talked uh, mainly about, like we said, Spielberg County, USA. We haven't reviewed this movie so much, mostly because we figured that if you're listening to this, you've probably already seen it. Because again, this is Chris and my war crime. Overall, um, I, I I think that this felt like you said. I think you hit the nail on the head. It felt like a kids' movie. Very yeah, it's it's a, it is a kids movie, and I think that's why I gave it a little more room than you know. I'm not going to approach it with quite the same critical eye I would. A, a well, I, no, I'm going to disagree with you there because I think a family movie like I can watch, mm-hmm. like you said, Pixar. If it's made for all the above, and I think this wanted to be a family movie, and mm-hmm. it wound up just being more of a kids movie. Maybe that is the case, but you know, the family movie is something that is also very Steven Spielberg. He almost like the modern family movie. I feel like he almost if not invented, really brought to the forefront of the mainstream. Exactly. Made it its own thing. And then I wanted to touch on this because I talked about it this a second ago. Did you watch the old Argane slash Little Rascal? They were actually called Argane, and then whenever they brought them back in the 60s on TV, they called the Little Rascals, but they're called Argane. Did you watch those, the black and whites from the 30s? I have seen the black and white Little Rascals. I don't know to what like. Things like that, I I don't know how much I can trust my childhood memory. Like it's one of those things that I'm almost positive was on at like the dentist or some you know like waiting room sort of sort of thing. Like I have a mild, but you never really just sat down and watched it. Not not really. No. See, that was something that my mom was very purposeful about sitting us down and watching. She actually ordered the tape set, which was introduced by Leonard Malton, hmm. and so I decided to. And this was you know this was still a decade or so ago, but I you know I haven't changed all that much and i thought it was still pretty solid entertainment because of course those were even though they were starring kids they were directed towards adults so it was like we said a second ago family entertainment uh-huh. and i bring that up because i think that's what the goonies really wanted to be is it wanted to be an our gain style pirate adventure and and you know on that level i do think it fails like i i feel like this is a movie that maybe you should you know we talked about eating vegetables earlier eating your cinematic vegetables maybe you should just to have the discussion about you know if you haven't seen the goonies see it to you know form your own opinion and this, and, and have the say that you have but i don't think it's a travesty if it's missing as a uh, a, a hole in your viewing experience either it's it's in it's more your cinematic sherbet than it is your uh-huh. cinematic vegetables okay you you know you might as well eat it because it's you know kind of kind of sweet whatever yeah. and, 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 and it, everyone else is doing it and if everyone else is doing it then that's justification enough for doing something yeah i i didn't hate it but i i wasn't blown away by it it didn't take me down back down memory lane exactly all right so there you have it uh chris and i are both kind of on the fence about this if you haven't seen it then it's not going to you you will not die an unhappy person having not seen the goonies but i would say if you have seen it but haven't seen it as a child maybe worth revisiting to see like if anything does change for you if if there's something that we missed in the adult viewing that that you might pick up on adult viewing being the operative word so chris i was really curious before we even started this episode if you were going to have a beer recommendation for a kids movie and Uh you are nodding your head so well i'm i i am but i'm cheating so there's a brewery in houston texas called saint arnold's brewery um they make delicious ales that unfortunately only ship within the state of texas um but they also happen to make uh, a really delicious root beer. So I figured I could still, you know, make a recommendation, but have a tie into beer. Um, there, the St. Arnold root beer, if you can find it, if you happen to, if you live in Texas or happen to take a trip down to Texas, look for it. It's delicious. I mean, this is, um, something I look forward to every time I travel with my wife down to Dallas or, or Houston or wherever. Like we, we bring back at least, I don't know, a, a dozen or so, uh, bottles of it. So that's St. Arnold Root Beer, only available in Texas. Look for it in the candy-striped bottle. It is delicious. Well, that wraps up our War Crimes review of The Goonies. If you've seen this film, why don't you let us know about it? Shoot us an email at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Stick around. After the break, we dive headlong into our own personal war crimes. So stay tuned as we pay our cinematic penance. So I call you Sit down and you 
We are all cinematic sinners in some way, but much like Usher, these are Chris and my confessions. Confessions. Before we present our top five biggest war crimes, I think it would be good to preface that Chris and I are two not very different film goers, but we ha- I, I would say our differences is I'm more TCM and he's more IFC, which doesn't mean that he doesn't like classic film and it doesn't mean that I don't like independent and more arthouse flicks. It's just he has seen more th- that genre of that species of film, whereas I have seen more of the other. So this should create an interesting dynamic. So with that said, Chris, what is your first biggest war crime on your list? Okay, so I made a list on Letterboxd that's uh, over 100 movies, and uh, it's a little bit of everything. So I'm trying to, uh, with my five that I've picked out from here, I'm trying to get a little taste of everything. And my first pick is the Abbas Kiarostami film, Taste of Cherry. Um, Have you seen anything by Kiarostami? I have not. So that probably needs to go on my list as well. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, he's an Iranian filmmaker who has as of recently actually gotten out of Iran and started making his last couple films, uh, certified copy. And I think like someone in love have been based in, I think Europe and Asia respectively. Um, but I've seen a couple films by him. I really like his approach to filmmaking. There's a lot of sort of weird, intimate detail. Like it's his movies are typically ones that I would say you can't really just do a plot summary of um, certified copy definitely falls in line there. Um, but I I do find that he is exploring something in at least all the films of his that I've seen that is trying to get to the emotional core of humanity. I guess. So just to just to put this in perspective, your for, first war crime is a Iranian film is a movie from Iran. Th- that is correct. All right. My first war crime, and this will probably put my head on a pike. Speaking of war crime is I have not seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller's Day Off probably goes in the same category as the Goonies of just quintessential 80s cinema that everyone has seen. They don't know when they've seen it, but they've seen it. Mm -hmm. And I have never seen Ferris Bueller's from start to finish. You know, I'm curious. So have you is it one that you've at least caught on TV? I mean, I know I've seen the Bueller scene. I'm familiar with the twist and shout scene. Okay, but again, those those are the two that immediately came to mind is like you have to at least I've seen the heart and the mind. I have not seen the body. I've not seen the brunt of the film. So that's probably my biggest. I think I think that would be an interesting discussion. I I think we would have perhaps more to say about Ferris Bueller than than we did about Goonies about the the movie directly. Mm-hmm. Um, one I have seen, one I haven't seen though that I'm positive you've seen is Doctor Zhivago. Yes, Doctor Zhivago. It's David Lean. That's partially why I want to see it and partially why I haven't seen it. Um, I I really like Lean as a director, but for some reason. I have trouble getting the courage to dive in to lean. Pictures. Well, courage is the appropriate word because it's a very lengthy picture. Mm-hmm. And as you know, as most of his most famous movies are, David Lean's one of my favorite directors. But I will admit that this is probably one of his more schmaltzier pictures. And it precedes an even more schmaltzy picture, Ryan's Daughter, which came out in the late 60s, early 70s. Don't even I know nothing about Ryan's it's not Daughter. a war crime. It's not a war crime unless you're a David Lean junkie. Okay. Like I am, but yeah, I would definitely, you definitely need to see Dr. Chicago. Yeah. And I honestly, I'm putting it on this list because I don't think I would watch it otherwise. I don't think I would eat my own vegetables. It has to be, I need to have the airplane, you know, come in for the landing. Yes. Okay. And, and I will certainly provide that for you. Um, this is, this is a very healthy vegetable, which I've never seen start to finish. I think I saw the beginning and I just didn't finish it because I was watching it late. I don't know the exact circumstance, but I'm pretty confident I've never seen M from start to finish. And really? again, that is film school 101, as you pointed out yeah. at the start of the show. And uh, Fritz Lane interests me as a character, as you know, him as a character, the circumstance. I love Peter Lorre. Peter mm. Lorre can do anything. See, and that's, I'll watch it, it, it. This seems to fit right into like, yeah, if I don't anything, get I would think I would be the one who hadn't seen him and you would be. And the yet one. you've got, uh, we're looking at it right now. I'm looking at your M poster. Yeah. So you are yeah. clearly a huge M my, my M poster that my wife hates because she thinks the fingernails are disgusting. <laughs> and they are. They certainly are. Uh, the original poster. But yeah, for whatever reason i've just never seen it i you know and as a as a charter president of the peter Lorre fan club mm-hmm. that's just a, a huge 
black mark against my I, I think that'll character. be I think that'll be a good discussion as well. So my next film is one. This is almost a wishful thinking film because uh, I haven't seen it, not necessarily out of lack of attempting to, but um, out of it's it's a difficult film to find. It's uh, Eric von Stroheim's Greed. Um, have, do you know anything about this movie? Uh, I've seen documentaries on it. It's long, isn't it? Um, it's, it, I, it has, it's one of those that has like two or three different cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's a movie that I've heard so much about. I feel like I have to see it. Like it's one that I, I hear come up quite a bit as an influence. Actually, mm-hmm. I think most recently, uh, Elvis Mitchell talking to Christopher Nolan about interstellar, uh, they got on off on a tangent about how much of greed was directly lifted, like story-wise, uh, for interstellar. Oh. Um, and I, you know, I like Von Stroheim as both a director and an actor. So this is one that I, I really want to try to find. I have been unable to as of yet. Well, are there any versions available? Um, I've I've found like VHS tapes for one hundred and fifty dollars on uh, Amazon, that sort of thing. Well, gee, what what are you waiting for? I mean, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that that's Christmas present worthy. Um, all right, a another huge picture that I haven't seen, and I think in you know nerd time, I reviewed AFI's a hundred greatest American films list, and I think for I, I mean serious nerd time, I think I've seen them all. Is the thing, except for this picture, which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I have never seen that. Milos Forman, uh, Academy Award winning performance by one of my favorite actors, Jack Nicholson. I have not seen it because I, I, I for whatever reason, wanted to read the book first, and I think I'm kind of getting over that. Having wanted to are read you, the book. Are you that kind of person? You like to read the book before you see a movie? I used to be, just because that's what you're supposed to be, but honestly, I think I like it. I truly like it better. See, in the I, always, I always see the book as the supplement to the movie, almost, because, you know, the book is going to always Expand be, the story. Expand yeah. the story. So if you like the movie, then the book gives you even more to like. But have you, have you seen One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest? I, I have. It wasn't until college that I saw it, but I really like it. Um, also, a great performance by a young Danny DeVito. That's true. Yeah, exactly. And so I've seen bits and pieces, but from start to finish yeah haven't seen um it. yeah nurse ratchet uh yeah this this is a this is certainly a war crime um my my next one this is one that probably on of the list that i've made up this is the one that i'm probably the most ashamed to admit and that's robert altman's nashville oh i know Ooh. i know and it's i i don't know it, it's like one that just slipped through the cracks and uh, I know I need to see it. I don't. This isn't even like Dr. Zhivago where I have an aversion to sitting down and watching it. It just hasn't happened. Is Nashville or excuse me, is Robert Altman? Is he he's kind of an acquired taste. Do you like the guy? Um, I would say he's actually kind of like David Lean for me as I in general. Yes, um, I I've only seen MASH once and I didn't care much for that. Mm. Uh, what is it? Wild Bill and the Indians or. Um, with Buffalo Bill, Buffalo Bill and the Indians um, enjoyed that. Uh, I can't think of what else of his off the top of my head. I've seen Popeye, it. which we discussed a few episodes <laughs> prior. Right. Um, but in general, yeah, I, I like him. I, I like his style. This and ex- this is Robert Altman to the T. It's have you have you seen shortcuts? Uh, oh, do we have another war crime? Well, it's, it's a OK. Here, here's what it is. It's a lengthy ensemble picture mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, have blends comedy with reality. Yeah. And I actually like shorts because better than Nashville. But I would this is certainly I think that seeing. in itself might be considered a war crime. I don't know. Somebody. They really liked it. I think Nashville just, you know, given the time period it came out in, uh-huh. it, it was a bigger, a bigger deal. But I think that I, I just prefer shortcuts but i need to rewatch nashville so okay so what do you have next all right this is a picture that is not on anyone's greatest film ever list however it is much like the goonies much like ferris bueller's day off is something that everybody's seen and i haven't and that is pretty woman i have not seen pretty woman either. okay well see that that's again it's it's you know a tbs movie mm-hmm. that for whatever reason you and i were out doing something else every single well, no, time. Well, no, we were we were children. We weren't allowed to see a movie about a a hooker a, with a heart of gold. I mean, no, I, th- no gold, I think yeah. that I think that appeals to all ages. The hooker <laughs> with the heart of gold genre. I, I, I do though remember like taking a jewelry box and snapping people's fingers with it as a child. Like I, somehow that trickled into. Did you know about where it was coming from, or you just? I knew Richard Gere and Julia Roberts were involved. I didn't know it was a hooker with a heart of gold movie. Um, I don't know. Like, but I I remember doing that and then doing it to myself, and being like, oh. 
this is a terrible thing. This really hurts. Well, did, did people, whenever they did it, did they have such a magnetic smile as Julia Roberts they, they that America not, or, just fell in love no, with? No, or they, they didn't have the laugh or the giggle either. So, Well, and yeah, I just, I just don't really like Richard Gere. I don't get it. Richard Gere is one that... Uh, maybe an age appropriate character delivery device actually. For yes, me. exactly. Uh, he works well in some things. Like I, I think he's really good in uh, Days of Heaven. Um, but I think in, Days of Heaven is really good, and he's in it. But that that could be that that could be the case. But I I was enamored with him in it. Um, but then again, the American remake of Breathless kind of terrible. Speaking of Breathless, Chris, take our breath away with your final war crime. Oh man, I, you're setting the stakes pretty high. This is another one that I just feel I uh, I it's not one that I've been avoiding. It's just one that I haven't gotten around to. Uh, it's uh, Porcarossa, the anime uh, Hayao Miyazaki. I believe it's Miyazaki. Is that correct? Yes. Um, Studio Ghibli film. Uh, I really in, in general love Everything that I've seen of Miyazaki outside of My Neighbor Totoro didn't really care. Didn't for get that, that, and that's probably one of his. Char- I didn't like it either, and that's one of his, you it, know, most popular pictures. Yeah, or at least iconic. Like mm-hmm. you, you see Totoro as toys and earrings and all sorts of stuff. But everything else, I, I've really, really enjoyed. And so, yeah, Porcaroso, it's a lot of fun, and it in the American version, the dubbed American version, it's played by Michael Keaton. Hmm. So if you need added incentive to okay. see Porcaroso, that would be it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think the reason I haven't seen this is because it's one of those that I'm probably going to have to get from the library to see it. And it's just hasn't made it to that library list yet. What I love about this concept and what I love about this conversation are Two of my war crimes are posters on the wall of your home. Yeah. I mentioned M is one. The other one is Paper Moon from the early 1970s starring the O'Neills, Ryan and Tatum O'Neill and directed by Peter Bogdanovich. It's a it's one of the most memorable pictures from the 1970s whenever a whole bunch of young directors came out and started really making fascinating interesting movies and i've just never seen it and frankly i haven't really wanted to because much like richard Gere, i don't like ryan o'neill and i don't really like uh, peter bogdanovich either and it's not so much their their work as it is they just bother me as people as human beings well that may even be putting too fine a point on it because that makes as personalities yeah as personalities like uh, it's not that i'm just semi opposed to them morally but just that i don't like them i have to like an actor to watch him for an hour and a half to two hours does that make sense it does i'm very much yeah does that mean you've never seen barry linden no i would say Paper Moon is honestly a movie that I am an acolyte for. Like, I don't know if it's still streaming on Netflix, but it was for a while. And I feel like at least once a month I was recommending it to someone to watch. Um, I love this movie. And it actually, it kind of fits in a weird place as far as like, uh, I really enjoy the whole 70s cinema movement. Um, It fits in an odd place in that it almost goes antithetical to that. Well, and Peter Bogdanovich had also done What's Up, Doc, which was mm-hmm. a throwback to the, which I believe uh, also starring Ryan O'Neill, which is a throwback to the Screwball Comedies, which I don't think is was as good. I haven't seen I, it, but from what I hear, it, it wasn't as good. I was I was surprised by how much I liked it. I, I saw it because it was Bogdanovich and Ryan O'Neill. Um, I was reluctant to see it because it was Barbara Streisand. Um, I actually thought Barbara Streisand was pretty good in it. Do you know what I love about this is we both ripped on Barbara Streisand for completely different reasons <laughs> in the cor- course of this episode. All right, so I've listed my five and I yeah, and you've listed your five. I think what we'll do now is I'll give you your vegetables and then you give me mine and then we'll talk about a film that we uh, that we'll both watch that we both haven't seen this on both of our lists. Sound good? Okay, so we're we're picking uh, we're picking the lineup for our uh, absolutely our firing squad. Okay, do I would you rather I pick one of the five you just mentioned or should I pick one off your list? Uh, you know. I'm going to say let's just roulette it and you pick something off my list. Okay. The one I'm picking off your list, I'm picking because one, it is both a classic and then two, it is uh, belongs in the genre that I know you enjoy, that being more art house European mm-hmm. uh, cinema. So I would recommend that you need to watch La Dolce Vita. And it's one of those things. There, it, like, there, there are some on here that are bigger for me, like Predator. That's huge for me. <laughs> but for you, yeah. I think La Dolce Vita yeah, it makes, definitely. Yeah. And, and you know, I think I've actually sat down and tried to watch it once. You know, it's long. Recorded it off of 
TCM or something and started. And then like, it was like I was doing laundry in the middle or something and then just never finished it. Um, so yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not a Fellini fan, but, uh-huh. uh, I think it's a quintessential or essential viewing rather. And Marcello Mastroianni is actually one of my favorite quote movie stars, one of the under the radar guys. So I'd recommend that. All right, Chris, uh, get get your airplane with the vegetables on it. What do I have to eat? You know, I was actually, I thought about doing Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but you mentioned it. I thought about M, but you mentioned it. Oh, no. I even thought about Paper Moon, but you mentioned it. Had you not mentioned Paper Moon, that would be my pick right now. But I'm going to go weirder than all of those. I'm going to go David Lynch's Blue Velvet. I'm cool with that. I'm 100 percent cool okay. with that. I was really terrified you were going to say DOS boot the <laughs> no I'm the not full say, seven hour version. I was going to say look, I I'm, just it. shoot me, just shoot me. I'm not doing it. I, I own it. If you want to subject yourself, I don't think to that's that. ever. I don't think that's ever going to happen. DOS boots on my list, and it, I, yeah, I don't it's, think it's a movie. I think you should experience. I don't think anyone should be forced to watch the full miniseries version of it. But no, uh, Blue Velvet is a. I, I think we were discussing this. You're not so versed on David Lynch. Is Dune the only I've thing only seen? seen Dune, yeah. Okay. Well, speaking pre- of things that feel like seven hours, but go ahead. Well, prepare yourself for just a weird immersion into. I think you're really going to like this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's playing with uh, genre a bit. Like, it has almost a soap opera feel to it, but then it also has one of the craziest villains I've ever seen on the big screen in uh, what Frank Booth, the uh, Dennis Hopper character. Yeah. And I really like Dennis Hopper. So I'm, I'm very happy with this pick undefinably uh, unnerving. So I'm really excited to both view this movie again and discuss it with you. As you, as you said at the very start, there's not a lot of overlap on our lists. However, one that jumped out at me was Richard Linkletter's before what is it referred to? I, I get, I, the before trilogy is what I always. The hear. before trilogies, mm-hmm. which is uh, before sun, before sunrise, before sunset, and after, and before midnight, I believe. Correct. Yes. Okay, I've seen none of those, and I take it you have not either. I've seen none of them either. I don't know how I missed it, really, because it seems like a really beloved group of films. And you know, really, I don't think there's a type of movie genre that I enjoy more than just two people talking. Mm-hmm. As long as it's good. You yeah, know, if it's yeah. do, if it's and that's, boring. And that's Linklater's thing. And I've I've you know, I'm really interested to explore this as a trilogy, as a actually evolving uh relationship sort of thing. I mean that's that's something that I really love in uh in cinema. I thought Boyhood last year was great. I love uh, Truffaut's Antoine Dwinelle series where he actually took the same actor from the 400 blows and made what a series of, I think four more movies, if I'm correct. And, and a short film with him as he aged progressed through the years. Um, so this is really like right some, up your alley, yeah, right up my alley, but I just haven't, uh, haven't seen them. I mean, they're a little like, I, I think I actually have before sunset, recorded on the DVR, but I need to see before sunrise first. So I think that would actually be a great, uh, collective war crimes to to approach at some point in the future as well so in summation i have to see blue velvet yes you have to see la dolce vita yes and then we'll we will both watch the before trilogy this is you know i'm really excited to explore this war crimes uh you know subgenre of war starts at midnight uh in in perpetuity because uh this is something that um, even more than just the you know recent release film, something that I really enjoy doing. Now, Chris, you are going to link to our respective lists. Yeah, if uh, if you'd like to see all of our atrocious uh, oversights, I will have links in the show notes of this episode to my list and Hunter's list on Letterboxd. So you can look at them and then send us hateful emails at hello at war starts at midnight and tell us how bad we are as human beings. Or conversely, if you have the gah- so you can tell us about your war crimes and Please. we can hear that well stay tuned as chris and i provide some really rad recommendations up next while we're working out the launch strike zone go on and turn off your cell phone whoever needs to call you can wait yeah
end of yet another episode. Hunter, let's celebrate like we always do and make some recommendations. What do you have for us? Mine is a unusual choice. It's You might say it's a cult film, the very definition of a cult film, because as far as I know, you can only see it on YouTube. And it is a Japanese-produced documentary on Steven Spielberg from the early 1980s. <laughs> In the version I saw, you could still see the, the snow on the tape, and they included the Japanese commercials. So you should watch those as part of the experience as well. Are, are there subtitles to this? How does this work? No, he's speaking in English. It's, it's, he's speaking in English, and, the pe- and you don't really hear the people interviewing him. Okay. So it's more just a walk-and-talk Kind okay, of so it's a talking head sort of thing. Or, yeah, and, and okay. it was, like I said, it was filmed in the early 80s. He was directing uh, E.T. at the time. I don't oh. think E.T. Or maybe E.T. had just come out. Okay. But anyway, what's fascinating about it is I don't think I've seen a more in-depth filmmaker documentary that is just focusing on their life and living in Hollywood, California and working in Hollywood, hmm. California. For instance, you kind of tour his house. It gets so personal that it even has his mom delivering chicken soup over to him at one point in time. So and then uh, it but it also deals with his film and discussing him as a human being. And it's just speaking of, you know, like the lens of nostalgia, it's it's just very fascinating to see him at probably whenever he was as popular as he's ever been. Yeah, perhaps if not the peak, the first peak of his popularity. And so but like I said, I don't even know the name of it. I think if you just go to YouTube and type in Steven Spielberg Japanese documentary, (laughs) you should be able to find it. Okay, you're going to have to find this for me so I can I can link. I think no, I think that's all it takes, honestly, unless they've gotten rid of it. Okay, but I would definitely recommend that on uh, it's a fascinating watch. Okay, great. Um, My pick also comes from Japan uh, a little bit earlier. It's the 1977 I don't even know how to describe it. Maybe I guess horror comedy ish um, film house by Nobuhiko Obayashi. I'm sure I've butchered that. I apologize. We apologize to the Obayashi family for the butchering of his name. Yes. Very, very sorry. But this is a strange, you know, I, I actually, I don't know exactly how I got to this train. I thought maybe it was just because I was drifting off a little bit during the Goonies, but got to thinking about this movie in the sort of makeup of the characters that you go on this adventure with in the Goonies. You have, uh, these, how many boys, five boys, four boys, whatever. They're, they're all sort of a type. You've got data. Who's sort of the nerdy Asian guy, which, Really a little problematic. Yeah, short round. Uh, exactly. Uh, you know, you've got Corey Feldman as the bad boy. You've got you've got all these kind of tropes of, of characters. And uh, I think that was what got me to thinking about House. It's uh, like I said, this weird horror comedy movie from Japan from the late 70s. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's just bizarre. It's uh, about these three girls who go on like a weekend trip, I believe, to uh, I believe it's one girl's aunt's house. It's been a little while since I've I've seen it. But then uh, crazy things start to happen. They all like kind of systematically get killed off one by one, but not like, you know, it's not your typical like slasher horror sort of thing. Like there's weird, creepy, scary things, perhaps. But uh, each of these girls, there's so there's a girl named Mac, who's like the fat girl who's always eating fast food. You've got um, a girl who I believe is a model, one who's like a, a pop singer, you know, that sort of thing. So that that that's what got me got me into this. But I highly recommend it just for the bizarre uh, special effects and death scenes. I feel like well, the way you're describing it is almost sounds like a demented Japanese Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. That, that's not a bad description, honestly, but it's, I mean, they're sh- throwing all of the, um, special effects techniques they can at the wall here to see what sticks. Uh, I mean, there's everything from like cut out, uh, you know, cut out composition of there's, there's this amazing scene. I don't think this is really giving anything away where, a piano eats a girl and then plays itself with her severed fingers, which is way funnier than it sounds right now. Um, but just a bizarre, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to really describe it beyond, uh, sort of the, the tableaus that you go through in, in, in this movie, uh, seek it out. It's got, uh, a nice, uh, criterion Blu-ray. I guess that's the thing that I'm going to start recommending all, all this time. The criterion Blu-rays. But, yeah. Yours have all um, been criterion Blu-rays and mine have been almost, you know, Amazon primer today, YouTube, YouTube. watch it on yeah, YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also a beautiful cover by, uh, Sam Smith, the, uh, graphic artist and sometimes drummer for Ben folds. Um, so that's, 
that's uh, that's House. Check it out on Blu-ray or uh, wherever you can find it. You know, streaming or probably whatever. YouTube. You could probably find something on YouTube. Yeah, you could probably at least find some of these crazy scenes on YouTube. Searching House Japanese movie or something. You know, check it out. See if it seems like the type of thing that you wanna uh, you wanna spend your afternoon doing. I mean, I, I don't think it's very long. I believe it was like an hour and a half. Um, so yeah, seek it out. And that concludes another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr at WSAMPod. If you like the show, please help us out by rating us on iTunes. And if you hate the show, hate Chris, hate me, or just want to spread the vitriol, please email us at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Music on this week's show comes from The Walking In Between by Ben Rector. Catch Ben on the Tour de Compadres with Need to Breathe this spring. For tour dates and more, visit BenRectorMusic.com. Tune in next time when we will be discussing the Noah Baumbach-directed Ben Stiller starring comedy While We're Young. Thanks for listening. Adios, amigos. This movie had everything... This movie have... (laughs) This movie have... This movie has everything I loved as a child. Pirates! Oh... This movie had ev- damn it. Steven Spielberg Japanese documentary is my recommendation. It has no name.